Welcome back. I'm Conrad. That's Duncan and Drew. And if you're yeah. keeping count of the death score, we're actually making more life. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, it, things got weird back there. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and we are Stranger by the Dozen. Uh, just a reminder, you can find this show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and on any fine podcast app. Give the show a five-star review, and I'll read the review on the air. In our last episodes, we had a bunch of solo Doctor Strange adventures. So let's take a look at our favorite non-team, the Defenders, and see what they're up to. Oh, yes, the Uh, team of jerks. It's true. Uh, Just a reminder from their own ad copy. The mysterious Doctor Strange. The vibrant Valkyrie. The savage Submariner. The high-flying Nighthawk. The incredible Hulk. Evildoers tremble at the names, for these five form the crux of the greatest non-team in history. Heroes call together only when the need arises to battle menaces that threaten the security or the very life of the planet Earth. They are the Dynamic Defenders. And we jump right into Defenders number 15 from September 1974. Panic Beneath the Earth. Len Wein writer, Sal Buscema and Klaus Jansen artists, Glennis Wine colorist, John Costanzer letterer, Roy Thomas editor. All right. So you'll remember from last episode that we have a new member of the team, the Batman ripoff Nighthawk, as well as usual members of Valkyrie, the Hulk, and Doctor Strange. Or at least for now. Uh, this issue starts with Doctor Strange showing us around the Sanctum Sanctorum, and Nighthawk showing off his sweet new costume. He's gotten rid of the bird nose and instead put in a a jetpack, which is always good. (laughs) And then Valkyrie decides to leave the team once again. So fickle. So fickle. I mean, she's been pretty consistent on wanting to leave the team, and then things have have come up. This time, she's worried about... or Because last time she was going to quit the team, and then they left to fight Zemnu right away... And then there was a, and then a, there was a bunch of other action, and it was tabled. But now she's back out. She just needs a place to stable Aragorn the Pegasus. And Nighthawk proves himself to be an able Bruce Wayne copy by calling his business manager Pennyworth, mm-hmm, uh-huh. and buys a stable for the beast. <laughs> I'm just saying, guys, Pennyworth. Pennyworth. Yeah. So he buys a stable for the beast, but suddenly the team receives a message from powerful psychic and noted cravat wearer charles xavier dude that is a pretty sick cravat he's wearing it's true man i was gonna i was thinking about calling him a noted uh, lap blanket wearer but that seemed messed up also a pretty sick <laughs> lap blanket blanket he's wearing there yeah you know professor x of the x-men he needs the defenders help because the x-men are busy and so they should meet him at carlsbad caverns in new mexico Okay, so just some inside comic stuff. Uh, the X-Men have actually been in reprints since about 1970. They've appeared individually and together occasionally in other comics, but the actual X-Men comic won't be revived for about another six months or so. From what I've read in the letter pages of all these comics, fans are really fervent for an X-Men return. Like, every letter is like, hey, bring back the X-Men too, why not? And there's a bunch of stories, like, in this era of 1974 that are about bringing them back into the public consciousness. And this is one of them. Um, another is the mission that the X-Men are actually currently busy with that prevent them from doing what Professor X needs them to do. Uh, right now, they're helping Captain America and the Falcon discover the identity 
of number one, the leader of the villain group, the Secret Empire. They totally do, and number one is Richard Nixon, who promptly kills himself. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. You mentioned <laughs> this before. I can't stress enough that in Marvel continuity, Richard Nixon doesn't resign from presidency. He kills himself when he is found out to be the leader of a supervillain organization. <laughs> Man, I was just getting really attached to the Richard Nixon character. <laughs> oh, you know. He wasn't a crook, but whatever. Wait, no, he was, because supervillains, whatever. But since the X-Men are doing that, Xavier needs the Defenders to help him out. So they head out, uh, you know, flying via cloak of levitation, Pegasus, or jetpack. The jetpack gets great gas mileage. And along the way, they pick up the Hulk, and eventually they all arrive in New Mexico. When they enter the caverns, a giant monster appears, and they fight it, but it's just an illusion. And they soon meet the real threat, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Dun, dun, dun! So the Brotherhood is, of course, this classic team of X-Men antagonists. The current roster is Magneto, who, you know, just magnetism stuff. Uh, the Blob, who's a big fat guy who's mostly immune to attacks. Mastermind, a guy who hypnotizes people and makes crazy illusions. Eunice, the Untouchable who has a force field that makes him immune to most attacks, and Lorelei, who is a lady from the Savage Land, which is this place in Antarctica where they have, from this rainforest in Antarctica, that Magneto artificially turned into a mutant. She could hypnotize people and make crazy illusions. So the team's kind of redundant because, like, Mastermind and Lorelei have kind of similar powers, and Eunice the Untouchable and the Blob have kind of similar powers. I'm just going to say Eunice seems kind of open. He's good, man. You can't touch him. He's got just a permanent force field at all times. I think this supervillain team could use maybe like a, I don't know, maybe a raging Cajun who could charge up stuff with energy and then throw it and no, have wait, it explode. I, I see where you're going with this, Duncan. I absolutely agree. Yes, it needs some of that. Maybe yeah, you, like, know, use you know, like Dazzler. A, like a staff or something? Yeah. I don't want to talk about Gambit, guys. <laughs> but so um one way or another so the team gets like zapped by energy and they're taken captive because they've been beaten magneto decides to start monologuing because he's a classic you, villain of course that's what you do when you're a villain you monologue Abs absolutely he spent the whole time writing the monologue he's not going to not say it it's true <laughs> so he sort of explains how he was defeated by the avengers and they trapped him in an energy ball, like Thor did this, which Thor also did to Hyperion from the sinister from, from from the Squadron Sinister, which seems weird. But I guess if all you have is an energy ball baller, then you energy ball all your problems and shoot him into space. So they took the energy ball and and dropped Magneto in like a volcano, and he was trapped there for a while. But eventually, he managed to free himself, and he found his way to a cavern full of ancient technology and books and information and stuff. He rounded up the uh, bros of evil mutants, and he started his grand plan to use the technology to create the ultimate mutant. So anyway, after uh, all this monologuing, the Defenders and Professor X managed to escape, and it's brawl time. It's uh, Hulk versus the Blob, Val versus Eunice, Strange versus Mastermind, and Xavier and Nighthawk versus Lorelei, <laughs> which is weird. But so, the Blob can't be beaten when he's got his feet on the ground. So Hulk Is picks him rule? up. What? Is that a rule? Yes. He manipulates gravitational waves, so as long as he's in contact with the ground, he can't be moved or, like, beaten, basically. 
Luck, and it's hard to pick him up because he weighs like 800 pounds. Luckily, the Hulk can pick him up pretty easily. So it works out pretty. So the Hulk basically just crushes him, sorted. <laughs> I mean, as the Hulk is prone to saying, Hulk is the strongest. I mean, he's right. <laughs> Show me the lie. <laughs> so then uh, Valkyrie fights Eunice, and because he's got the force field and stuff, uh, Valkyrie can't slash him or anything. So instead, uh, Valkyrie totally judos him and knocks him out that way. Done. Uh, next up, uh, Mastermind's psychic illusions proved no match for Doctor Strange's magic illusions. Plus, like, Mastermind doesn't really have an end game. Like, he can make a big monster, but he can't, like, hurt you with a monster. It's just an illusion and stuff. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange can make a big crazy, make a bunch of copies of himself that you can't do illusions to him, and then zap you with his magical powers. Uh, meanwhile, Lorelei managed to su- pretty much successfully um, hypnotize Xavier and Nighthawk until as they like pass out, Xavier activates Nighthawk's jetpack, and Nighthawk just unconsciously body checks Lorelei, taking her out. <laughs> oh, man. So, hey, uh, defenders win. All right. Uh, except Magneto's completed the process of uh, creating the ultimate mutant. And soon he will be born, which takes us to Defenders number 16 from October 1974. Alpha, the ultimate mutant. Lenwine writer, Salvusima artist, Mike Esposito, inker, Glynis Wine, colorist, Charlotte Jetter, letterer, Roy Thomas, uh, editor. It's the ultimate mutant! Oh no! Well, Magneto's pretty pleased with himself. And Alpha, the ultimate mutant, is uh, 20 feet tall of big, bald, loincloth badness. Uh, he kind of looks like Bald Bull from uh, Punch-Out on any kind of. I, I thought he looked like uh, Tor Johnson, who I know for much of like Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes. No, that makes sense, too. Yeah. But he's got kind of like, he's got a very, like, primitive, like, uncultured look. Like, his, like the, back, the, the, the back of his cranium is really tiny and stuff like that. Like, he, he's not pretty. He, he looks pretty dumb, basically. Like, he's just a big, naked, dumb guy. He talks in grunts. But if you attack him, he can create a powerful force field to protect himself. And it's powerful enough to stop both bolts of bedevilment from Doctor Strange and punches by the Hulk, which is pretty crazy. I love that that's their, like, metric is like, oh, well, he can't top magic and he can't top punches. So this dude's definitely the strongest. I mean, those are the two most powerful things they have act- they have available to them, you know? No, definitely. But so, with Alpha now out of his tube... Magneto's pretty stoked, and so he uh, collapses the cave system, and they teleport away. Uh, meanwhile, the defenders have to escape the cave system, which they do basically by uh, punching their way out. And as they're doing that, the BOEM, that's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, teleports itself to the UN, as you do when you now control the powers of a all-powerful god mutant, you know? Yeah, you know, the UN is... The single most powerful organization there is. Obviously. At this point, uh, Unit or uh, Alpha has evolved a little bit. He's now a little bit more like Yule Brennery, I guess. Like his head's sort of normal sized. He's starting to talk in sort of short sentences and stuff. <laughs> so uh, they do what you normally do, which is just stride right in th- through the front door of the uh, UN, knock everybody out, go to the central podium. And say, uh, we want the world. Give it to us. We're super powerful. 
we would like control of the earth, please. I mean, that's pretty I mean, various stuff. diplomats are like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> but I like the UN stuff because there's a lot of non-English exclamations of things. Like, there's a lot of, like, by the eyes of Allah or gotten himmel and stuff. And then a bunch of unusual head coverings. Like, I, I counted two turbans and a fez, which is pretty awesome. And so when the world leaders decide not to see, automatically cede control of the Earth to these dudes that just showed up, Magneto has Alpha pick up the entire UN complex and just kind of levitate it high into the sky above New York City. It's pretty cool. Um, and as he does that, the defenders show up and they fly up to the UN and confront Magneto and Alpha, who's now starting to speak, to speak in complete sentences. Oh, and also he can create rock monsters with his mind. <laughs> and that's while the defense... Oh, it's good? Uh, no, that's pretty awesome. Rock monsters yeah. with your mind? Yeah. Totally. Luckily, the defenders have managed to fight through the rock monsters pretty effectively, but then they try to fight Alpha, and Alpha just sort of beats him up without much trouble. He, like, turns the Hulk to stone and stuff. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but also, Alpha's head is starting to get way bigger. Like, he's got a big cranium right now. Like, it, it, inhumanly large. And so, Professor X and Doctor Strange decide to try to talk Alpha out of it. He, um, like, they decide to reason with Alpha, and Alpha decides to check and see who the bad guys actually are. Up until this point, Magneto's been bossing him around in a way that is pretty clearly evil, but whatever. We get this cool picture where we see Alpha and his giant head and he's psychically, like, scanning everybody, but it's personified by him holding, like, a scale of justice with the Defenders and Professor X on one side and Magneto and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants on the other side. And uh, he uses the scale and finds the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to be evil. Shock! What? It's super How unexpected. could he have no? <laughs> I am shocked by this revelation. Shocked, I say. Yeah. <laughs> I, always, I always think it's weird when, like, uh, a villainous organization puts that they're like villainous in well maybe not for most of them but like when you're the x-men villains you really sort of have like a, a gray area going on right so, it's a we yeah it's a weird choice for the for the brotherhood of evil mutants who are specifically like trying to are 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 radical racial equality freedom fighters basically yeah but you know like you know they were like initial villains like they're from like 1963 at that point stuff like nuance didn't really exist in the comics yet you know <laughs> hadn't been invented yet no sir so his cranium now big like a beach ball alpha returns the un to its rightful place wipes the memory of these events from everyone on earth so this is a rare non-doctor strange brainwashing for this series <laughs> and then he flies off into space but before he does he de-ages the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, turning them into little crying babies, which is so weird. Who takes care of them? Uh, they go to uh, X-Men assistant Dr. Moira McTaggart in Scotland, who raises them. So they just... Do they get reverted? Or yeah. Are they, okay. Yeah, Magneto will be an adult in about three years, and then the rest of the Brotherhood will sort of join him, some just sort of off-screen afterwards. Okay. It's actually kind of interesting because in the 80s, Magneto will be tried for his crimes by, like, the world court. And his defense will be 
that all the stuff that he did in like the Silver Age was before he got de-aged, and this de-aging uh, was like his previous life. He's grown up again and got a whole new sense set of like personal responsibilities and life experiences and stuff since then. So you can't hold him accountable for what he did in his previous adulthood. I guess <laughs> it works. It's cool. <laughs> but this is also how. Like this aging thing is also how they managed to explain to have a set point of um of of, of Carl Maxim or sorry of of Magneto sort of having be to allow Magneto to be a Holocaust survivor and still be young enough to take part in active super in in, in active supervillainy you know right like because he sort of was returned to the prime of his life he can still be you know he can still be young enough to fight. The, to fight the X-Men and stuff, but still have lived through the Holocaust, basically. And uh, besides that, um, Alpha will re- reappear now and then, but mostly in flashbacks, so he shows up a couple of times in Quasar comics in, the, in, in 1990, but mostly just sort of flies through space. And with that, we go to Giant-Sized Defenders number two from October 1974. Um... As well as the original story, this one contains some reprints, like the original Giant Size Defenders did. There's a Submariner story from 1955 where he fights a were shark, and the art is slightly less disturbing that, than 1950s uh, Submariner usually is. And then there's a uh, there's a Black Knight story, also from 1955, but this one's weird because it's not Dane Whitman, the Black Knight we saw during the Avengers Defenders War. It's actually the Black Knight, like, in Camelot. And it's funny because he's a superhero in Camelot. He's some random dude who, when the situation arises, will put on the costume of the Black Knight and help out King Arthur in some way or something like that. That's so odd because Dane Whitman mentioned that he was both of those knights simultaneously the last time we saw him. Yeah, man, the Black Knight is surprisingly complicated. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't think it, you know. Oh, and then also, this comic reprints the classic Doctor Strange story, Beyond the Purple Veil. But let's focus on the new stuff, you know. Definitely. And in this case, it's the story H, as in Hulk, Hell, and Holocaust. Oh. Uh, Len Wein is the writer. Gil Kane and Klaus Jansen are the artists. Glynis Wein colorist. Dave Hunt letterer. And Roy Thomas, editor. Uh, Gil Kane's kind of a cool artist here. He's probably best known for creating the silver, for, for co-creating the Silver Age versions of Green Lantern and the Atom, as well as the Iron Fist in Marvel. And so we start with the Hulk fighting the New York City Police Department following the events of our last story, which of course no one remembers because brainwashing is fun. Right. <laughs> and it's standard Hulk stuff. He wants to be left alone, and the cops are like, no dice. <laughs> they send out an anti-Hulk robot that the Hulk just instantly destroys. And it's like, well, there goes another two and a half million dollars of taxpayer money. It's rough, man. Yeah. Could have left Hulk alone. That's what Hulk says. So eventually Hulk just kind of jumps away and escapes. When he does, when he lands elsewhere in the city, he bumps into a little, a little blonde girl who befriends the Hulk, Frankenstein style. And then leads her hand in hand down, or to her home, down many flights of stairs to a cave system under the city. But then the girl turns out to be a demon. 
Oh, no. Uh, rocks the lecherous. And suddenly, and the demon creates a whole bunch of Bruce Banners, and those Bruce Banners kick the crap out of the Hulk. What the literal hell is going on? And I told you, Hulk is so Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, they, they use it against him here, because he thinks he's going to have a sweet Frankenstein moment, but instead he gets beaten up by a bunch of his alter egos. <laughs> That's got to be really rough for him. Man, it doesn't pay to be the Hulk. That's just sort of the sad fact. <laughs> But so it turns out that all of this is being shown by a crystal ball to the other defenders by a ghostly figure. And the, and, uh, the ghostly figure is trying to blackmail the defenders who's doing what he wants. Not taking this lying down, the team scours the city for the big green machine but can't find him. They do, however, twig to the fact that the messenger was talking about hell and there's demon in- demons involved. So Doctor Strange decides to contact a specialist on the matter. And Astral projects to St. Louis, Missouri to talk to Damon Hellstrom, son of Satan. So, like, in the early... Oh, go ahead. Like, the Satan? Yeah. Yeah, back in the early 70s, the Comics Code relaxed its views on supernatural stuff, which allowed them to use specifically demonic characters like Hellstrom here and, like, Ghost Rider, for instance. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think later on like in the 80s or something all this satan stuff will be changed to be like thanos or or, or not thanos um shoot satanic some yes either satanish or some other demon type guy i guess cuz cuz it's like satan but only ish <laughs> i mean it's it's semi satan it's good enough <laughs> it's the generic brand yeah absolutely i mean why wouldn't it be <laughs> Oh yeah, or like Mephisto is often revealed to like it'll say Satan, but it's actually like Mephisto. Mephisto becomes a big demon guy and stuff like that. It's weird, but for now at least, it's all just straight up actual Satan. Like Ghost Rider gets his powers from actual Satan. Uh, Hellstrom here is the literal son of Satan, etc. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting actually because this guy's because Hellstrom's first name is a uh, Damon, like D A I M O N. And I think he's got that name because Damon kind of sounds like Demon and stuff. But it's funny because two years later, the Omen will come out and forever link the name Damien to Satan. They were so close. Yeah, I, I just, it's just kind of a funny coincidence or something. I don't know. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, Damon turns into the son of Satan and flies out to help the defenders. As the son of Satan... Hellstrom wears red tights and yellow boots, a big red cape, and his hair sort of flies up to devil horns. But he's also shirtless and has like a pentagram carved into his chest. It's pretty dope. But so now this team, so now the uh, this team, Doctor Strange, Son of Satan, Valkyrie, and Nighthawk, go searching. F- they follow the trail of the Hulk down the endless flight of stairs, and they're suddenly split up, and everyone goes through their own personal hell. Uh, Doctor Strange is tormented by the people he couldn't save because he stopped being a doctor. Valkyrie is attacked by faceless ladies who make fun of her lack of identity. And her plethora of faces. (laughs) Or lack thereof. (laughs) Uh, Nighthawk is attacked by the victim or is sort of tried and found guilty of his crimes when he was a bad guy. And Hellstrom witnesses his mother being attacked by crazy demons. Unable to help. Who's behind this madness? And oh, oh hey, it's uh, our old buddy Asmodeus from the Sons of Satanish Ark. Oh, nice. nice guy. Yeah. Oh, no, he's pretty bad, but he's also dead, which is weird, because he's now threatening people. 
But hey, let's resolve these personal hells, right? Right. I thought the Doctor Strange one was a little weird because they aren't... Because they're the people he didn't save. They say, like... They make it seem like these are people who he didn't save with operations in between the time he was in his car crash and became Doctor Strange, basically. I mean, Yeah, he shouldn't have chosen to have a car crash. Right. There's something. Like, they say, like, we died because you were too frightened, too morose to perform the operations. Too broken-handed. Yeah. But, like, that's the thing. Like, he couldn't have done anything for them anyway because his hands were broken. Yeah, his hands were really screwed up. (laughs) Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, I can understand them being, like, the people that he didn't save kind of snubbed isn't them because they weren't important enough. Yeah, but it's not that. It's, like, specifically this other thing. But so, I mean, I think Doctor Strange agrees with us because... He kind of uses the psychological technique of radical acceptance to defeat his accusers. He realizes <laughs> that, like, he can't change the past, he can only change the future, and that these guys' demands are kind of unreasonable. And so he breaks free of his personal hell. And then he's able to run through the other personal hells. He kind of helps Valkyrie kind of shows Valkyrie that she doesn't need to have a past to have a future and to establish her own identity. And then he just kind of shows Nighthawk that he's in an illusion and that kind of breaks him out, you know? And sort of Satan doesn't need help. He figures it out sort of just on his own. And finally, the Hulk just finally manages to become strong enough to punch all the ghost Bruce Banners that were attacking him. Because that's all the Hulk really needs to do. He just needs to get really angry. That's all it yeah. comes down to. Just keep punching, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the team confronts Asmodeus, who will recall died of a heart attack back in episode seven of this podcast. And it looks like he's made a deal with Satanish to sacrifice five souls of the defenders, Natch, so he can live again. Satanish has given him 12 hours to do so, uh, but it's too late. And a giant, the giant hand of Satanish appears and drags Asmodeus back to hell. Bummer. The team is safe, and Hellstrom flies off into the night. He'll be in his own comic and sort of guest star in Defenders occasionally before joining the team full-time in the early 80s. And that takes us to the last episode of the last issue of the night, Defenders number 17, from November 1974. Power Play. Len Wein, writer, Sal Buscema, artist, Dan Green, inker, Glennis Wein, colorist, Annette Kowecki letterer, Roy Thomas editor. So I'm really excited about this because we're starting to get into the territory of the defenders that I know because ah. of the character that's being introduced in this. Uh... Sweet Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So we open with the ranch that Nighthawk, a uh, real name Kyle Richmond, I guess I should mention, uh, bought the, the episode before last to house Aragorn the Pegasus. Nighthawk tries to ride the winged steed, but no dice. With the horse settled in, Valkyrie says her goodbye and says her goodbyes and leaves the team, now dressed in a sweet seventies pantsuit, complete with invisible sword belt. I don't worry sh- Well go ahead. I was just gonna say that's just handy. Yeah. Can't be carrying that thing around. I mean, it sticks out to be kind of this groovy hippie chick and also <laughs> have a big gold sword on your waist. But don't worry, she'll be back pretty soon. Um she doesn't really leave the team for a lo- in, in a long-term basis. Uh, the Hulk also leaves, sort of sad, because Valkyrie left. And so we're down to a Defenders team of just Doctor Strange and Nighthawk, which is rough. <laughs> and 
and Nighthawk agrees he's totally bummed. He was hoping that the defenders the defenders would become a proper super team and he's built a clubhouse and everything. Like complete with um an added an adamantium chair for the hope to sit in when they like chill out around like the superhero table, basically. Nighthawk's totally that guy who just never leaves the party and he's just stuck there too long and, and Strange is like giving him like subtle hints about like, oh it's Getting kind of late, huh? It's getting oh, real late, getting you know, kind of sleepy. Oh, so sleepy. Maybe, maybe you're from, <laughs> like you know, just call it a net or whatever. It's just he's just constantly magically stacking chairs and stuff. <laughs> and Hawks but he was like, "No, man, let's 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 go and get like breakfast or something." Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but so at this point, suddenly, uh, Nighthawk reve- uh, gets a call for his alter ego, Kyle Richmond, from his business manager. Still named Pennyworth, which holy crap. <laughs> Albert Pennyworth. I think it's just Pennyworth. <laughs> sort of I'm gonna I'm gonna sow some seeds here that they're trying to do, but they've actually failed at but by, by this point. <laughs> which is uh, hey, you know how you never see Pennyworth's face? And a lot of times when you see his hand, you like see him through a window or something, so you can't like see what color suit or what color his skin is or anything. Just uh, file that away. File it away. Anyhow. Is it Loki? No. It's something. It's something. <laughs> Does it have anything so, to do with the oh, color purple? I, want? I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. All right. It's weird. It's okay. a weird. It's a weird twist. But so apparently, the mysterious super team called the Wrecking Crew have been holding buildings hostage. And if they aren't paid in time, they'll they destroy the building. They're threatening their third building as Doc and as uh, the Doc and Hawk watch it on TV. And at the appointed time, this building is completely destroyed, just turned to rubble. Then an ultimatum echoes through the city. They want twenty-five million dollars, or they'll destroy the entire city of New York. No. Yeah. Also, it turns out that all the buildings that have been destroyed so far have been owned by uh, Kyle Richmond. Oh no. Oh no. Um, he's only got one building left, which is still under construction. Pennyworth's arranged some defenses, but Hawk and Doc decide to head over and see what's up. When they arrive, they find the building is already being protected by Luke Cage! Oh yeah. Yeah, Power Man, the hero for hire. And this is a classic Luke Cage, with the metal headband and the afro and the bright yellow shirt open to the navel. It's he's so cool. So awesome. <laughs> and since it's a superhero comic, um, because two heroes meet each other, they have to immediately assume that the other one's an, a villain and they fight. In this case, like super building under construction fight, so the building is constant. It's like everybody's constantly like trying to keep the building from collapsing and stuff, like as they trade blows. And then so. As they fight, they have the best the best line of the night. All right, Nighthawk said, N- Nighthawk's like bantering with Luke with Luke Cage, and he says, "I just wanted to make sure you were looking me straight in the eye when I blacken both of yours, and then punches him right in the face." <laughs> and then Luke Cage says, "Too late, Joker. My eyes came black like the rest of me." <laughs> it's like holy crap. <laughs> Anyhow, this is also where we learn that Nighthawk has super strength when the moon is out. Like, I guess. Sure. I, 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 I don't recall this ever coming up again. It's very weird. He just needed it for that moment. Something. 
But so as they fight, suddenly the whole building shakes and crumbles to the ground, and they're only protected because of quick thinking and the, the magic force bubble of Doctor Strange. And suddenly, they're confronted by the evil Wrecking Crew, a super team of construction tool th- of construction tool based villains. Who are these jokers? We'll find out next week on Stranger by the Dozen. Ha <laughs> right. ha. So, so you forgot to write anything for your strangies, right, Conrad? Oh yeah, I'm totally un- unprepared. No All wait. Right. <laughs> I have I have some nominations. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh my favorite writer is uh actually I have a tie between Roy Thomas, who I really like just sort of for some of the classic stories, and he had a bi- this big long run across a couple comics and kept the kept Doctor Strange alive for a long time, and I, f- I really appreciate that. And Steve Englehart, I really like his a lot. This recent stuff in the solo Doctor Strange comics that we've read. Um, my favorite artist is Marie Severin. I really love her Silver Age stuff, and she had a bunch of like iconic monsters and situations and stuff that I thought were pretty dope. For favorite storyline, I got to go with the classic Eternity Arc into the second showdown with Dormammu. That, like, 12 issue, 12 or 13 issue just run of one continuous story is so awesome to me. (laughs) Um, My favorite villain is Mordo. Gotta be. Mordo takes a licking and keeps on ticking, always showing up, sniveling and being evil. It's pretty good. Dude can lick bootleg. It's true. And for me, my my favorite whatever moment is kind of a weird one, but I really like when the Living Tribunal shows up sort of after the fight with Zom and stuff. The Living Tribunal is just an example to me of Doctor Strange as being part of this huge cosmos that with rules and complications that are unknowable until he kind of crosses them and sees what's going on. Um, it really, To me, it makes this sort of world that Strange operates in seem more... Mis- it, it, it just sort of exemplifies the, stra- like the strangeness, I guess, or the craziness of the mystic world that Doctor Strange inhabits, you know? Definitely. Plus, the Living Tribunal is just my favorite thing. Like, I love how he's got these heads, and it's really crazy. <laughs> well, Conrad, I checked your results, and you got all of them right, except for one, but I'm not going to tell you which one. Ah, son of a diddly. All right. <laughs> so, guys, what do you think about these issues as a whole? Like, the Silver Dagger is a super intense storyline, I think. Yeah, I like the Silver Dagger storyline, but I really like the uh, God, the Genesis arc. Yeah. Like, 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 what do you like about it, for example? I don't know, I just like the whole going back through inadvertent leaks that actually happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's cool to kind of see, like, the effects of, like, it's cool to see kind of Doctor Strange going around doing magic and stuff, you know, or other people, too, just sort of how powerful these these characters can be and how that affects, like, the whole world around them and stuff. Wait, like, Genesis from the Bible or the band? Uh, the band. Oh, man. Yeah. They are great, and they really... <laughs> The way that they recreate the world is just incredible. Oh, yeah. Okay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Duncan? What did you think about these these comics? I know you 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 like the Silver Dagger a lot. I, oh, I, my gosh. I was so sad with the Silver Dagger. I really think that maybe you could have replaced the Silver Dagger with any bad guy and just, like, had it been the same story, and I would have been on board because I love the art, and I love, like, the character development that they did, and I just think that it was, like, across the board amazing. Nice. All right, great. So uh, come back next week, dear listener, as I go back to solo podcasting for a little while with our 11th episode. We'll take on the Wrecking Crew, deal a bit too much with Nighthawk's love life for my, for my taste, uh, learn the secret origins of both the Valkyrie and Clea, and go on a, 
and go on a mission from the spirit of the Earth itself. Ben Grimm, the ever-loving thing, guest stars next week on Stranger by the Dozen. If you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram at Stranger by the Dozen, Twitter at Stranger by the Twelve, that's Stranger by the One Two, and on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com. During the week, I'll try to post images and quotes from the issues covered this week, so keep an eye out, as well as at strangerbythedozen.com. Stranger by the Dozen is on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any other podcatching app. And remember, if you leave a five-star review on any platform, I will read it on the show. You can contact Drew on Twitter at Neo of the Dark and look for Duncan by Googling Duncan Weir. He'll be the second guy you see. Until next week, faithful listener, I say, once he was a man like most others, a worldly man seduced and jaded by material things but then he discovered the separate reality where sorcery and men's souls shaped the forces that shape our lives in that instant he was born again to become a man like no other a man who has left us behind as he strove to stand against the unseen subtle perils hovering thick and black around our fragile existence. And so began the mystic majesty of Doctor Strange. Until next week, my name is Conrad, along with Duncan and Drew, and this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path. Mon ami.